Thank you. We turn our Bibles together to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning and think about your body, God's temple. It might be good for you to visualize the city of Corinth located on the plain south of the, or east of the city of Athens, a place that for hundreds of years was uh, really a rival of Athens. Corinth was an ancient city. At the time that Paul walked upon those streets, the city of Corinth was more than a thousand years old. And yet the Romans had destroyed the city and it had been basically rebuilt about a hundred years before. It was a, a city that was fabulous in its architecture and its engineering. It was also well known for its many temples. One to the god Apollo has been restored somewhat today in the city of Corinth, which was destroyed, by the way, in an earthquake about 150 years ago. Above the plain of Corinth, however, there is a mountain that's 2,000 feet high. It's a rocky, jutting kind of a mountain. And on the top of that mountain in Paul's day, there was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, or Venus, the goddess of sensual pleasure. Up there on that mountain, there were at least a thousand priestesses who, as part of the temple worship, gave their bodies as prostitutes in the name of Venus to the men of the city of Corinth. When they would come walking down in the city itself, it is said that they would wear sandals, which left imprints in the sand of the city that said, follow me, and many of them did. It was to a city like this that was sophisticated, beautiful, wicked, that the Apostle Paul and his party arrived to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and some of the Corinthians believed, as we know. The old way of life for those people, however, was hard to leave, and apparently some of them were being tempted to go back to the old ways of worshiping through prostitution. And so the Apostle Paul writes about their attitude toward immorality. He wants them to know that a Christian is a distinctive person in the midst of a corrupt culture. A Christian is a holy person. And because of that, the body of a Christian is God's temple. It is God's dwelling place. That's what Paul essentially says in the text we're looking at this morning, beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. It is that the body of a Christian is God's holy temple and should be treated as such. In verse 12, the apostle lays down some principles regarding your body and the way that you use it. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. That phrase, all things are lawful for me, apparently was a common statement made in the church at Corinth. They were saying, well, there are no laws. I am free in Jesus Christ. His grace has forgiven me of my sin. All things are lawful for me. They had apparently heard the message of God's grace through Paul, but they had, were now at the point of abusing 
that message by going too far in it. So that instead of giving them freedom, they were, giving, they were get, getting from it license for sin. All things are lawful for me. But Paul gives the first principle when he says, not all things are profitable. That is, not all things give advantage. Not all things bring benefit with them. Paul does not deny that God has given to us in our physical bodies certain appetites. He mentions two of them here in our text. One of them being the appetite to eat. That is a blessing to be able to have appetite, isn't it? If you've ever been sick or been on some sort of medication that has taken away your appetite, you know what a blessing it is to be hungry. And then to be able to satisfy that hunger. God has made our bodies so that we, several times a day, sometimes too often, since we have this need to eat. And the Apostle neither denies that God has given to our bodies the need for sexual intimacy and fulfillment. Sex is God's idea. It is holy. It is good in his eyes. It is clean in his eyes. Our bodies also have a need for sleep. Our bodies have a need for exercise. God has given our bodies these needs. There's nothing wrong with them. But sin can take these appetites and twist them for evil. So that our need for sexual intimacy can become immorality. And our need for food can become gluttony. And our need for sleep can become laziness. Our need for exercise can be overdone to the point that we neglect the spiritual part of us. The Apostle is saying here, yes, it may be true that in Jesus Christ you are free from the law of God. But he says, I remind you of something. Not everything that you might be free to do is profitable, and you need to think about that. Does it bring any advantage to you or to others, this activity that you say you are free to do? Secondly, he says there's the principle of, of uh, enslavement. He says, will this thing that you say you are free to do cause you to be mastered? Will it put you into bondage to something? He says, you may be free, but you need to think about your liberty. Because your liberty can make you a slave. So he says to us and to the Corinthians, here are some principles regarding the use of your body. He says, yes, there's a wonderful liberty that is in Jesus Christ, but Christian liberty does not mean doing what pleases you. It means doing what pleases Christ. And there's a big difference. A big difference. He goes on in verses 13 through 16 to tell us a bit about the purpose of your body. He says, God has not only raised, excuse me, verse 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us 
up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says, God says, the two shall become one flesh. As the apostle writes about the purpose of the body, he says in the first place that the body is not for abuse. It is not for abuse. It is not, for example, for gluttony. Yes, the body was made to eat. It needs to nourish itself through eating. But it was not made to indulge yourself to the point of sinning by what you eat. The body was not made for abuse of gluttony. He reminds us that both the stomach and the food will one day be of no use. For they are temporal, they are transitory, they belong to this world. Secondly, he says that the body is not for the abuse of immorality. Yes, sex is part of what is natural to the body. But it is not to be indulged in in a sinful manner. An expression of gratifying the sexual appetite of your body outside of God's precept is sinful. And as I said earlier, there were some Corinthians who felt apparently that it was a natural appetite like food, and therefore it was made to be satisfied. And the way to do it was through prostitutes. Paul says that is abuse of the temple. That is abuse of the body. He says, actually, the purpose of the body is for the Lord. He says, the body is, in the first place, an instrument for his use. Look at the end of verse 13. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He says, believer, God has given you your body that he might use that body in accomplishing his purposes in the world. He is for your body, and your body is for him. It is for his use. Secondly, he says, your body is permanently claimed by God. Just as God raised our Lord from the dead, so one day he will raise you and your body from the dead. Your body is an eternal part of who you are. For you to exist for eternity without a body is for you to be something less than human. Because God has created us material and immaterial. And he says, just as Jesus was raised materially from the grave, howbeit in a glorified material body, so you one day also will have a body like his. In saying this, Paul is showing us that the resurrection places a high value on the body. The Corinthians were thinking the body was unimportant. They were perhaps affected by the Gnostic kind of teaching that came to maturity later, which said that the, the body is, is sinful. What you do with the body is unimportant. It's, it's insignificant. 
what's really important is the immaterial, the spiritual part of you. So do with your body what you want to do with it. It's the immaterial part that counts. Paul is denying that. He says your body has high value as far as God is concerned, and you're going to live forever in your body, in its resurrected state. And then thirdly, he says your body is joined with Christ, verses 15 and 16. He says, you have made it members of Christ. Therefore, to join your body with a prostitute or in immoral behavior is absolutely unthinkable. It is unthinkable. It is the abuse of your body to treat it in that way. It is outside the boundary of the Christian liberty that you are boasting in. To abuse your body in that way dishonors the Lord, he says. For whatever you do in your body affects the Savior. Keep that in mind. And so he gives them some understanding of God's purpose for the body. It's for the Lord's use. It has an eternal purpose. And uh, the Lord dwells in your body and he joins himself with your body. That brings him then to verses 17 through 20 where he gives some pronouncements regarding the body. Essentially, he says here, it is impossible for you to commit some immoral act without grieving Jesus Christ. He says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. One of the most clear articulations in the whole New Testament of the union that we have with Jesus Christ. The one who joins himself to the Lord, that is, in, in faith receiving him, is made one spirit with him. Now that does not mean that we become gods or that we share in his deity at all. But it does mean that there is a marvelous, mystical, spiritual union that takes place with us in Jesus Christ. So that it nearly becomes impossible to discern where the believer ends and Christ begins. We are one in spirit with him. Therefore, he says, flee immorality. Every sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. There are two pronouncements that stand out in this text. The first one is that you and I are to flee immorality. Paul puts this in the present tense, so he's actually saying continually flee from it. Make it your constant vigilance to be on guard against immorality and Flee, get away from it. The body is not a, a vehicle for merely personal pleasure, says Paul. It is a vessel for Christ's use. We are one in spirit with him. Therefore, immoral acts are not only against yourself and your body, but against God. And it leads to dissipation. 
Proverbs, of course, warns about this, doesn't it? In those early chapters of Proverbs, it warns about going into immorality and what it does to destroy the life of a man or the life of a woman, for that matter. So Paul says, let it be your continuous attitude and habit of life to flee from immoral things. That is, when temptation presents itself, not to play with it. For you and me, me to look at temptation and to think about what we're going to do is like standing in quicksand and trying to decide if we should get out of it or not. Because the longer that we stand there, the more deeply we become admired in it. And so it is with temptation. The longer that you and I look at it and think about it, the more in danger we are of falling into it. And so the Apostle says, immediately, flee from temptation. Get away from it. Charles Swindoll writes, Do not try to coexist peacefully with temptation. If you are weakened by certain kinds of music, you are playing into the hands of Satan himself to listen to it. If you're weakened by certain pictures that bring before your eyes things that build desires within you that you can't handle, then you're not counteracting sin and temptation. You're tolerating it. You're fertilizing it. You're prompting it. If the newsstand is something you can't handle, stay away from it. Quit clucking your tongue and shaking your head as you linger over the pages. If you're weakened by relationships with certain people, abstain from them. And then he writes, There is a word for those folks who linger and try to reason with lust. That word is victim. This is practical advice, folks. You and I live in a day when this stuff is not just on a hilltop outside our city. It's in our homes. You can't pick up a newspaper or a magazine or watch a television program without it being thrown directly in your face. You say, well, are you saying cancel your newspaper subscription? Take your TV out of the house? I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just telling you that the scripture says, flee from the morality. And if there are things in your life that you can't handle, you must stay away from those things so that you can obey the word of God. Now there's a second pronouncement that's very practical regarding our bodies. It is this, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. But they had the idea that they were glorifying Venus when they would go up to that hilltop and join themselves to a prostitute. That was part of their religious act of obeisance to this goddess Aphrodite. Paul says, no, glorify God, the creator God in your body. There are three reasons to do that. I'm going to give them in reverse order as he puts them in the text. The first reason is that he has bought your body. The verb here is in such a tense that it points back to one act in which your body was purchased. 
And of course that one act can be nothing else than what we observed this morning, the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his precious blood shed on that cross that he offered the price for our bodies. He has bought them. Therefore, we are obligated to glorify God in our bodies. We are not to harm our bodies. We are not to sell our bodies. We are not to waste our bodies. We are not to indulge or serve our bodies either. For our bodies belong to another master who owns them. The second reason that he tells us that we are to glorify God in our bodies is that he has placed his spirit within our bodies. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? He tells us in Romans that if Christ, if the Holy Spirit be not in us, then we do not belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in our bodies. Do we understand that? Do we grasp that no matter where we are, what we're doing, day or night, public or private, that the Holy Spirit resides right here inside of us? If that grips our hearts, how can we do anything other than to remember our bodies are for the glorification of God? not for selfish pleasure. The third reason he tells us we are to glorify God is that he has made our bodies his temple. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're his temple, he says. This is in contrast, of course, the temple of Aphrodite on the mountain. There was where Aphrodite dwelt, according to their mythology. Paul says, oh no, God is not somewhere else. God is in his temple, which is you. That temple was made of a beautiful marble. And it stood there for centuries of time. God rather chooses to dwell in temples of flesh, our bodies. Indeed, he says that our bodies have become like the holy of holies of the Old Testament that place where God was pleased to reveal himself in his Shekinah glory, that innermost part of the temple. He says, that's what you have now become. One writer has said, the Holy Spirit does not choose to abide in temples of marble or granite, but in bodies of flesh. Through them he can reveal his person and power, and convey his message to men. Each Christian can become a channel through whom the Holy Spirit can express some aspect of his message to the world. To defile the body is therefore sacrilege for a Christian, because in defiling his body he is desecrating God's temple. Keeping God's dwelling holy is a prime motive for purity. Glorify God, he says, in your bodies. 
In conclusion, in closing, there are just three things that I want to say regarding this text and how it applies to our lives. The first is this. Your body is sacred. Treat it accordingly. You see, it matters to you and it matters to God how you dress it. In a day of near nakedness in our nation and in much of Western culture, in certain seasons of the year and certain activities, it is important for you and me to remind ourselves that our bodies are sacred. It matters how we dress them. It matters how we eat, what we eat, how much we eat. It matters. It matters how much we exercise, whether we keep the temple of God fit and in good shape, not to obsess, but in a balanced way. Our bodies are sacred. We should treat them accordingly. Remember that, will you? There's a second thing I'd like to say in closing, and that is your moral standards as a Christian must come from the character of the eternal God and not from popular culture. Because we live in a Corinthian culture. We live in a day when it doesn't make any difference what you do with your body. It is just there as a toy. Your body is something that gives you sensual pleasure, whatever gives you jolly. That's unbiblical. That is our cultural ethic. But God has so much more to say about the importance of the body. The moral standards that you and I have must never come from television. The moral standards that we have must never come from the editorial pages of the newspaper. The moral standards that we have in our lives must come from the Bible and from the very character of the eternal God himself. And in closing, thirdly, I'd like to say that the Holy Spirit dwells in you to help with temptation. We know that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, but I'll tell you something, temptation is strong. And when the temptation of our own lust is reinforced and fed by the culture around us, it is extremely difficult to deal with temptation. But we are not the victims of lust. We are not the victims of sensual pleasure. We have the Holy Spirit within us to enable us to resist temptation and to flee from it. I think the best illustration I've ever heard of it is the illustration of power steering. That as you and I with our will choose to obey God and turn the wheel, the Holy Spirit like power steering comes along to assist us so that we can do that. But it begins with you and me making the decision to obey God. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit is there 
to be our power assistant to take us in the right direction. One day a man in the ministry was walking in a coal mine and entered in that dark black hole in the dark earth. And as he walked into the mine, he noticed up toward the front, there in that black soil was a white flower growing right out of the wall. And he marveled at this flower because with all of the dust, the coal dust in the air, he couldn't understand how the flower could be white. And he asked someone about it, and the, the person said, if you notice the flower is so smooth that when the dust hits it, it just slides off. And so the petal remains fresh and white in the midst of the dark coal mine. That's what your life and mine needs to be like. Smooth with holiness. Smooth with yieldedness to God. So that when the dark soot and dust of this culture comes and lights upon us, it just slides off. And our lives remain a beautiful, pure blossom to the praise and the glory of God who has bought us. I urge you today to present your body freshly to God. To flee immorality and to glorify God in the body in which you both live. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a culture in which sensual pleasure is thrown at our minds from morning to night. And we have a lust that is within us that is capable of leading us easily into sin and desecrating your temple. We are Corinthians. We live in a world like that. And we need this word today. Whether young or old, we all need it. And I pray that you will help us to examine our hearts, to confess sin, to flee from temptation, and to yield ourselves freshly to you. Just in the quietness of this moment, will you tell God that you give him your body? If you're a Christian, if you're not, then you need to trust Christ. You need to be saved and washed and cleansed from your sin. But if you're a Christian, will you give God your body today anew? And determine in your heart to glorify God in it? May it be so. Amen. Let's see.